is beautiful. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for the story behind it. I thought maybe when they were looking who the organist was, Benny, you sure it wasn't you? Or were you there back there in that time? Beautiful song. Thank you, Pat. Deeply appreciate it. The title of the sermon this morning is Listen to Me. I want you to receive that as, as if the Lord spoke that to you. What if God and said that to you? And I want to suggest to you that He does. We, we need to hear Him. We need to listen to Him. So I do want you to wrestle with that. If, if the Lord has those moments, He says, you listen to me. Listen. But also in relationships. So in this sermon, we'll talk about relationships too and, and how well do we listen to one another. I want to start off the sermon by sharing with you a, a story, a statement actually from my son-in-law, Blake Wilkes. He and Audra are away this weekend, but he and I are close and we go fishing a good bit. So this is a fishing story. But he and I talk theology and we talk Scripture while we're fishing. And so he was, he was sharing with me, he was leading up to this statement, and we were fishing in a rock quarry. This has nothing to do with the story, but it's a great rock quarry. It's up coast of Collinsville. A man that pastored up at Crossville United Methodist Church, he owns this land. He bought this property. It's got a rock quarry. So back in the 60s, maybe even 50s, when they were building Interstate 59, they quarried for the rock and for building the, building the road. Well, it filled in with a spring like some of the quarries around here did. So it's filled with spring water. It's about 90 feet deep in some places. My granddaughter Madeline and I, we have swam in that water, and she's cold when you leap off. It can go down pretty deep. But we've caught a lot of bass in there. We've also talked a lot of theology. Blake was sharing with me about coaching and teaching and trying to be there for his students and trying to minister to his students, and he does. And he shared with me about one particular Hispanic student, a little girl. He's out on the PE field, and there's 50, 60 students. And in that moment, this young student began pouring out her heart to him about seeing a shooting, a shooting of one of her own family members, right in the middle of PE. And so he was trying to listen to her right there in that moment. You may have read in the paper a few weeks back that there was a little four-year-old boy in Crossville that was mauled by a bunch of dogs, the family's own dogs. The child was taken to Children's Hospital and they did surgery on the child. That happened right near Crossville School where my son-in-law Blake teaches and coaches. As it turns out, he ended up ministering to the mother of that four-year-old. The four-year-old's okay survived the attack. But again, Blake listened to that mother. As he shared some of these things, he said, I'm leading all that up because I want you to hear this statement. I heard it in a sermon or in a book or I don't remember exactly where, but it nailed me to the wall when he said it. And I want you to hear it. Blake said, the statement is this, be where your feet are. You understand that sometimes we're not there. I mean, we ought to be where our feet are, but sometimes we're out here somewhere, and especially in terms of listening and relating to somebody. Well, it spoke to me deeply. Because I realize sometimes I'm not where my feet are. And out of that statement has come this sermon. I'm going to share in a moment an article I read just a week or so ago to tie into this sermon. But I want you to wrestle with 
listen to me. We all struggle from time to time with the inability to listen. Both with our relationship to God. Sometimes we don't listen to God. And then sometimes we don't hear each other. We're all guilty of it. Let's just say it. Have you ever, and don't punch anybody, okay, but have you ever had your spouse ask, are you even listening to me? George and Beth Day are snickering. I don't know what that means, but I just I noticed them. So, uh, are you even listening to me? We've all heard our parents say, and you know, listen to me. But now that we are parents and grandparents, we'll say, you better listen to what I'm telling you. Madeline, have I ever told you that? You need to listen. Yeah, yeah. She's scared to death now. We need to listen. God wants us to listen. He just wants us to listen sometimes to what He's saying. I only chose a few Scriptures, but hear these. and This is Deuteronomy 4.1. Deuteronomy 4.1. Now Israel, God is speaking. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe. Listen, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God, your fathers, is giving you. So, so we see in this that part of the reason God wants us to listen to Him because He wants to bless us. He don't want us to get in trouble. And let me just remind you that I know that deep calleth unto deep. The Holy Spirit calls unto our spirit. And we hear Him receive things there in our prayer life. But one of the number one ways and the best ways is to listen to God is to listen to what He's already said. That's what He's telling Israel. Listen to the statutes and the judgment which I teach you. And then we read earlier from Psalms 81. I want to read verses 12 and 13 again. And so I, I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Why? Because they weren't listening to me anyway. And then God, with seems like with passion, says, Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. Has God ever said that about us? Has God ever said that about you? Oh, if I could just get Harvey to listen to me, what a difference it would make in his life. Then Proverbs 13.1 is about our own relationships, family, parents, mom, dad. It says in Proverbs 13.1 that a wise son heeds his father's instruction. It could be a daughter, a wise daughter. He should heed the, the father, the mother's instructions. But a scoffer does not listen. To rebuke. What does it say when the Lord says, I chasten and I rebuke them that I... What does it say? I chasten and rebuke them that I love. He gets on to us sometimes. We need to listen to Him. He does it because He loves us. The same way in our relationships with parents or students. Listen. And then Jesus said this in John 8, 43. Jesus said, why do you not understand my speech? It's a question. Why do you not understand my speech? And then he answers it. He says, because you are not able to listen to my word. There are times in your journey, sometimes in your walk, that you're just not able to listen to what his word says because we choose not to. God keeps coming back saying, listen, listen to me. September the 11th, 2001, 15 years ago. 
I was in Crossville United Methodist Church. It was a Tuesday morning. Nyla Joe Reeves was our secretary, and we began to get phone calls, and the radio we turned on, and we began to listen. Some of you remember where you were at, and pretty soon people kept calling. Now there's another airplane, and now there's another plane, and I got a hold of my sister. We did not know where mom and dad were. They were on a trip, on a bus tour. They'd been in Washington, D.C. the day before. Come to find out, they were on the bus in Pennsylvania. They actually saw the smoke from the plane that went down in Pennsylvania. Nyla and Joe and I wanted to go and go home. Some of you may have been able to work, leave work and go home. President Bush called the nation to prayer. Do you remember that? You remember that he asked churches, if I'm not mistaken, it was on a Friday, but he asked all the churches across the nation that had bell towers to ring the bell at 12 o'clock noon in their time zone. And so at Crossville, they have a huge bell tower that sits in the yard of the church, fairly close to the fellowship hall, a huge tall brick structure and frame up the top and huge bell tower. And so I went inside, I opened the door, and it was all-encompassing spiritual moment, just all of it. There's still a lot of uncertainty of what was going to happen next. And I remember ringing that bell. And I actually had tears running down my face. And then pretty soon, I had fear in my heart because there was wasp nest everywhere as I rang that bell. There's a huge wasp nest up in there. That was all a part of the experience. I didn't get stung. But I went inside and many people gathered at church at noon and others prayed. Do you all remember that? And we prayed that day. They tell us, and I look back up on the Internet, they tell us that that next Sunday, thousands, tens of thousands of extra people came to church that following Sunday because of uncertainty. There's nothing wrong with that. I do it too. A lot of times we're more fervent in our prayer life when something's going wrong, but praise the Lord, we can go to the Lord. But you know, by the next Sunday, they tell us it kind of waned off and all those who were urgent about everything, then they just quickly, and within a few weeks... Once they thought everything was back to normal, those who excitedly came to church just quit coming. In light of what I'm talking about today, is it possible that they just decided, well, now that the crisis is over, I really don't need to listen to God anymore. I don't know. But those are the facts, and that's what really happened. I want to share with you an article that I came across, Dr. Mark Rutland. Used to be a United Methodist pastor. It's been 30 or 35 years ago. He's a missionary and an evangelist, and I just like him. And he got a huge impact on God's call on my life, a book called Launch Out into the Deep. And I still read articles from him from time to time. This is an article on listening. So I'm going to glean from him. And, but it's interesting the way he kind of comes at it with a different twist. I put part of it in the 3D for those of you who get the daily dose of discipleship. These are part of. Mark Rutland's word. We have become a nation of emotional listeners. We have become a nation of emotional listeners. We have little patience with clear announcements of fact or historical observations. We, we don't really care what history says. We, we don't listen. Like I told you all, a preacher friend of mine said, you know, the one thing we never learn from history is history. We don't learn. We don't listen. So, so we have little patience with clear announcements of fact or historical observations. 
And I like this line. We want words either dipped in acid or drenched in syrup. The phrase, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? That phrase has become joined to virtually any statement. Like the tension. I think he's right. We've become a nation of emotional, emotional listeners. What do you mean by that? We want to read into simple, clear words some hidden meaning, some veiled threat or accusation, and we listen with our nerves on edge. And I don't know that the Internet and emails and Facebook and Twitter or Twitter, I can't even remember what it is. But it's heightened. It seems like emotional listeners, we, we have this reaction response to everything. Facebook's great. I love it. I'm thankful Atlanta's on there and we learn about friends and family and things. It's awesome. But sometimes it can, Lord, it can get abused. And people just don't listen. In the article he goes on and shares, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it here, but he makes this statement, the greatest listener of all time was Jesus. He was. He just heard people. He really heard them. He didn't get his back up against the wall. He didn't take offense. He didn't get defensive. He didn't jump to conclusions most of the time. That statement, remember that I said, my son-in-law Blake said, be where your feet are. Jesus had this great ability to just be right where he was at in that moment. Jesus had the ability to be where his feet were. A good illustration is the woman at the well. Great stories in John. So he meets this woman there at the well, remember at noon, and, and his disciples had gone off doing something else, and Jesus comes up to this Samaritan woman, and he's Jewish, and she's surprised that he asked for water. You know, they didn't get along. And so she says, why are you a Jew asking me a Samaritan for water? Well, Jesus didn't launch into defensive explanation as to why the Jewish people felt as though they did about the Samaritans and why it was, after all, justified. He just said, if you knew who, who I was, you would ask me for living water. He was right there. He was right there where his feet was. He said, if you knew who I was. And so out of that was a conversation, and the two of them listened to one another. And in so doing, opened up the door for life-changing, theology-changing, Bible, Bible-changing conversation. Her life was changed because he listened and she listened. We need to listen to what Jesus says. Now, I know there are times, even in the Word, that Jesus says, sometimes we're just wasting our time, so sometimes Jesus didn't always speak. In fact, He's the one that said in Matthew 7, Don't cast your pearls before swine. At least they trample them underfoot. Some people will never hear sound truth and facts. And so sometimes there's no need to launch into all these explanations because they're not going to receive it anyway. Just like a pig, they'll wallow it in the ground. Just like pearls, they won't receive it. I know I've quoted this before, but a game warden one time spoke at Crossville at men's breakfast. I'll never forget something he said. game warden said, you know, it's real hard to reason with unreasonable people. Y'all have had to, I can tell you, snickering. Here are five thoughts on listening from Dr. Mark Rutland. 
I want to ask you not to take them to extreme. Just hear them, receive them. There's always a need for balance when we preachers give our thoughts on something. And, but I like them. I think there's a lot of good can come from it. So five thoughts on listening. Listen for understanding. Try to understand what the other person is saying instead of picking their words apart. So, number one, listen for understanding. Number two, do not be easily offended. That's a sign of a lack of love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. So, do not be easily offended. Number three, let things go by. And I realize we can't always do that. But there are moments, let things go by. Do not seize on the words. And then he adds a great illustration, the epitaph, the words on the headstone. Of more than one marriage is a single word. The epitaph on the headstone of more than one marriage is a single word. Got you. I got you. Grace, instead of gotcha, works miracles in relationships. Let things go by. Grace, grace helps us with that. Number four, you don't have to have an opinion on everything that others say. Rutland goes on to say, I'm always amazed at people who feel that no matter who says something, no matter what the context and regardless of how little they know the person, that they just feel they must comment. Sometimes I hear people say, "I, I just have to say something about that. We are in a world of emotional listeners. Ponder more and react less. So you don't have to always have an opinion on everything. The fifth one, finally. And I like this illustration. If you find yourself in a communication minefield, in a communication minefield that you must absolutely enter into, then go slowly. Go gently. Feel your way in. Ask some questions. And he reminds us of that phrase, a bull in a china shop is loud and a messy irritant. An angry, hot-headed, easily offended bull in a minefield is just self-destruction waiting for one more step. If you find yourself in a communication minefield that you must absolutely enter in, be careful and, and go slowly i give you another illustration of Jesus being there in the moment where His feet were. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is John 21. And Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He could have been doing a thousand things. He's in God. He's risen from the dead. Remember the scene the disciples decide to go back and go fishing? And Jesus comes on the shore and He builds a campfire. I'm telling you, that is a beautiful picture of God building a campfire. And fixing breakfast for these confused disciples. Have y'all caught anything? They still don't know it's him. They said, no. They holler back across the water. They're still out in the boat. Casting nets on the other side. What? They did. The nets almost broke. They couldn't hardly pull it all in. Remember, Simon Peter said, it's him. That's Jesus. Jumps in the water, goes up there dripping wet, and God 
Jesus has a campfire and breakfast. And they have a conversation. He said, do you love me? Oh, Simon Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. See, Jesus had the great ability to listen and just, he was right where his feet were. I shared what I'm about to share with you now at our Bible study on Wednesday morning and on Wednesday nights. When I shared with them this about marriage, many people in the class, can I get a copy of that? And even had one lady ask me, would you read that at my wedding? Which I am. It has to do with marriage and a little tie-in. We've been studying the book of Hosea. You know, Hosea had to marry Gomer and she became a prostitute and God said, go buy her back. To do what, God? So God used that parable, that illustration of Hosea's marriage to illustrate how powerful his love is for his people. That's the story of Hosea. And in that, I read this. Hear this. Again, don't punch your spouses. Just listen. The tragic story of Hosea and Gomer. God reveals both the depth and the power of his love. It's one of the most profound statements about marriage found anywhere in Scripture. And then Jack Hayford wrote these words. Successful marriages are not about perfect people living perfectly by their principles. Successful marriages are not about perfect people living perfect by their principles. But rather, marriage is a covenant in which imperfect people often hurt and humiliate one another, yet find the grace to extend forgiveness to one another and so allow the redemptive power of God to transform their lives and their marriages. My wife's sitting here hearing all this, okay? I'll just remind you all that. There's been times she has said to me, Harvey, are you even listening to me? Are you still at church? We've been there. Let me ask you two or three things in closing. Are you a good listener? Are you a good listener? We, we can do better, can't we? I remind you of Blake's statement. Be where your feet are. Just Sometimes you just have to be where your feet are and not 10,000 other places. Uh, last question. Do you listen to what God says? Psalms 81.13, God said, Oh, oh that my people would listen to me. Let's pray together. God, forgive us. Forgive us all. We don't always listen to you. I don't either. But thank you for reminding me that I need to. I pray, God, for our relationships, and I pray that you would help us by the power of your Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and meekness and gentleness, self-control, all those things that the Spirit gives us helps us to be better listeners. God, speak to us right now in our hearts. Help us to respond to your Word. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give an invitation again to respond to God's Word. And Sheila shared, shared that illustration earlier with the kids that Jesus said, I'm knocking at the door and maybe you hear, hear Him. Maybe you can hear Him knocking. You've listened. And you want to open up your heart and let Christ in.
I tell you that Tyler and I would more, more than love to come and pray with you if you don't know Christ and you want to let Him in. Maybe that's what you heard this morning. Maybe you need to pray for somebody. Maybe you need to pray for yourself that you'll do better at being where your feet are. Altar is always open. Our closing hymn is open my eyes that I may see and my ears that I may hear. 454. Let's stand together. 454.